What is up, everyone? This is Los, and this is The Talking Place. This is a bonus episode, our first bonus episode, and I was looking forward to doing bonuses. It's, it's going to be happening not regularly, but you know, every so often. And this week is special because I had absolutely nothing to do with it. And uh, this this is actually a recording done by Chase from Learn From Gaming. And you heard him, or you may hear him on, on the show that we have here, uh, the Pokemon Sword and Shield show. Uh, I'm not sure how you're going to listen to this, if you're going to listen to it before or after this one. But, you know, it's going to be coming out at the same time as that. So this recording was done by Chase, it's all Chase, and it was originally supposed to be done for Gaming History 101 for Fred Rojas and his show. And the reason why you're hearing it here is because, uh, like I said, the Pokemon Sword and Shield show that is on The Talking Place, it was supposed to be a joint effort uh, between The Talking Place and Gaming History 101. So Fred is getting the Pokemon show over there, and he also has this recording of Chase talking about Pokemon. And, you know, it's going to be the same thing here. So I'll be honest, uh, I have not listened to this yet. I, I don't know everything Chase is talking about, so he could be talking about Pokemon for the first five minutes. And the rest of the show, the rest of the 40, 35 minutes or so, could be talking about the intricacies of making maple syrup. You know, who knows? I'm not sure. Uh, I know Chase is Canadian and he is very trustworthy. So, you know, I'm, I'm only assuming that we're getting a Pokemon show here. And if I'm assuming correctly, it is about him and his, his experiences with it, with the Pokemon franchise and some of the history of some of the games. So, uh, it should be a good listen if you're a fan of Pokemon or if you're new to Pokemon or, or anything like that, uh, it should be informative and it should be, should be cool to listen to. So thank you very much to Chase and to Fred for letting me host this little sideshow on my feed. It is much appreciated. Hope you enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, Chase's information is in the show notes. All right. Peace out. Hi everybody, it's Chase from Learn From Gaming, and I'm finally doing something that Fred and I have discussed for a while now, and that is just some coverage on Pokemon um, and a discussion of some of the history around the game. Now, some people might say, but you are a 36-year-old man. <laughs> why, are you, why are you playing these juvenile uh, JRPGs? And I will definitely get into it. But what I want to really communicate right now is that this is one of those, like what you like, and don't really be too ashamed of it. Like, if you like a certain type of game style, just enjoy it. Just play it. Whatever. Some people are going to say things, but uh, oh, who cares? You know, like, <laughs> your time is your own. Enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, I like Pokemon games. I definitely, definitely buy them either day one or I pre-order. Um, I was not interested in Pokemon Let's Go. Uh, or not Let's Go, in Pokemon Go. I did pick up Pokemon Let's Go, but it was so stripped down uh, that it was not an experience that I have 
been or had been enjoying as much. There are some great elements in that game, and I can talk about that in a later episode of the series. But what I want to communicate right now is um, sort of the history of how Pokemon got started and why... Uh, what... Uh, almost over 20 years. Yeah, it's been over 20 years. Uh, so in North America, at least it's been even longer in Japan, but, uh, Pokemon has been around for, uh, in North America since September, 1998. So, um, also, the reason why we are doing this episode is Nintendo has made it a tradition now to release some kind of Pokemon content every November. Um, with the new Pokemon Sword and Shield coming out, it seemed like a really good time to to focus on on this. So I am not going to dive too deeply into the Japanese launch of the game. I also can't really speak to the uh, European launch of the game. Um, unfortunately, that's that's not something I'm I'm educated in, but I can speak pretty well about the North American release. Things in Canada are not that different when it comes to releasing games than they are in the United States, except that for most games, you also get an insert with a French uh, French language manual. So sometimes you get two manuals, uh, which has produced an interesting an interesting kind of exchange for uh, collectors some. Some people in Canada will occasionally just slip in the the French language manual uh, for a complete inbox, and uh, that's a that's a whole other bag of chips. Um, but uh, you know what? Let's just sort of get into it. So initially, Pokemon launched in Japan in um, 1997, and it released as I believe it was red and green, and then there was a short follow-up later, uh, they released the, the, the blue game, which sort of fixed a few of the issues for red and red and green. Um, at originally I thought that it was just three different games. Um, but, uh, the two game format was always the planned release. Um, and so then the, the, the version of the game that we got was actually built off of the blue. So the less glitchy, and better um, version of the game was localized for for North America and Europe. Um, so when it would reach North America, it would be uh, segmented into Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue, with the only differences being um, d- just a few character creation differences. So like a, a few uh, auto-generated names were a little bit different. And uh, specifically the animals that you could catch in the game. So I'm going to stall right here for a second. And and if, let's say, somehow magically you've hit your head on a rock or you have not been paying attention for the last 20 plus years, um, Pokemon is a game. Um, and specifically, it's, it's a franchise and sort of a multimedia event. Um, that sort of follows the the journey of an individual who catches Pokemon, which are little monsters, stores them in a ball, and uses them to fight other people. Um, usually these are good faith battles, so it's, it's sort of a, a competitive thing. So it's actually training and um, really working towards being the best competitor that you can be. But there are there are like criminal elements in the game world so sometimes you have to fight those individuals but it's never really really high end and horrible uh, the early games do have some weird stuff especially around um there there's a pokemon tower where 
you just sort of bury your Pokemon when they die, and that's where all the ghost Pokemon are. Um, and there, there are there's some allegations of abuse and stuff, but that's not what I'm going to focus on. Um, I will focus on some of the social critiques of the game right near the end of this episode, um, and how I feel about them. But uh, let's jump back to let's say let's jump back to August 1998. Um, so I would be 15. I would have just turned 15. Um, and it is a month before Pokemon is going to be released. Now I still have a Nintendo power subscription. I've canceled it. Not really impressed with a lot of what's getting released on the N64 and I'm playing more uh, PlayStation now. Also the Dreamcast is coming out and I am saving up for that. So I'm not really uh, tracking most of the Nintendo titles, uh, things just aren't hitting me, right? Nintendo, I'm, I'm a little bit older and I'm just starting to not care so much anymore. I do have a TV in my room at this point. Um, we did have a PlayStation in the house that we bought with our own money. Both my brother and I started working really young. Um, and so we, we didn't have allowances, uh, our parents were usually pretty good, and if we asked for something, they would buy it for us, but we also worked, and so we had a disposable income. Um, so my brother and I had purchased a PlayStation uh, specifically for Final Fantasy VII, um, and then we just discovered all the other awesome games that were on that system. My, We had also... Um, <laughs> so the year prior, we had uh, really sort of worked to try and get an N64 at launch, which was a nightmare. Um, but it was it was just such a weird system because there were so few things that were coming out on it. Um, we got some of the really heavy hitters, and we love them. So we got uh, Nintendo six or uh, Mario sixty four. We got Mario Kart. But um, again, there there was a real fatigue there. Uh, the first party games, which were the only games that were coming out, were coming out in kind of a trickle. Um, Ocarina of Time, I think, was hitting soon, or it would hit soon. But I didn't care as much about that game. Like, it looked cool, and when it came out, I played it for a little bit, but it wasn't a 2D Zelda, so I stopped caring very, very quickly. Um, but the setup of my bedroom is important. So we had, like, this old CRT TV that was about as old as I was, but still, like, bigger screen than usual. Um, and I was able to actually bring it up to my room um, because uh, the the newer CRTs were coming out. So like the late 90s CRTs that were like plastic and not quite as heavy, but a lot larger than what you had seen in the 80s. Um, so I was able to have a, a TV in my room. I was able to have the old Super Nintendo that nobody was playing anymore in my room. So as I would go to sleep at night, I would usually play JRPGs like Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy VI. Um, and that was awesome. I also had a super game boy. We, we had bought a super game boy, uh, at launch for whatever reason, just cause we thought it was, it was a cool idea, even though we barely used it. But, uh, that device was about to see a whole lot of use. Um, so it's August cancel my Nintendo power, um, subscription. Uh, it's going to, it's going to keep coming in for, I think two or three more months. And then that's it. Like I I've recognized this is it. Don't really care that much anymore. And what happens in August is with the regular, uh, the regular magazine, which is covering approaching Pokemon release, uh, there's also uh, an insert that is Pokemon Power. Pokemon Power would run for six issues, uh, so it would be six separate uh, packed-in miniature magazines, so like little zines, 
uh, focusing on the early game of Pokemon. So it was focusing on um, both the, the differences and the similarities, but also just sort of like the gameplay, what Pokemon can be found in what area, um, small story beats without giving away too many spoilers. Like it would let you know that something was going to happen, but it wouldn't give the, the full dialogue. Um, and so I get this first, this first in, uh, the, this first mini zine and I'm looking through it and I can actually start to plot what I want to do. And it's important to communicate that I knew early on, I was going to pick up Pokemon like, uh, before, August 2009, uh, nine, or 2000, August 1998, I knew, because the Game Boy had a, a decent number of actually pretty good JRPGs on it, so the, the Final Fantasy games, uh, the Legend games were, were solid, um, and to hear that there was a Nintendo-backed JRPG coming where you could create customized teams of little monsters and compete against each other it sounded really cool um and to just see some of the art style this was one of the first times that nintendo had leaned into the really really anime-esque style in a long time which was very appealing to 15 year old chase who was buying vhs's at electronic boutique of anime for absurd amounts of money because I had watched Akira <laughs> now just couldn't get enough. Um, so it was just great to see Nintendo finally lean into its own culture and be like, yeah, no, we, we're Japanese and this is this is what this is. So these these packed in Pokemon Power magazines had the original art. You could actually look them up on Google. If, if you take the time, you can find uh, Pokemon Power. They're these blue magazines. The title is exactly what it sounds like, and you just get so much of the original concept art, uh, even just on those covers. And these magazines were packed full of it. They were full color, um, even though the Game Boy was not, which was kind of fun. So you you get like the 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 grainy sort of um, greenish brownish mishmash uh, that was <laughs> that was Game Boy whenever they would do the maps or whenever they would uh, do what the actual creatures look like in the game. Um, I'm going to get this magazine and I am intrigued. I'm really interested. So you flip through it um, and I started doing what is known as theory crafting. Uh, anybody who plays any kind of tactical games or uh, so like turn-based strategy or uh, actually, Fred and I and um, and my my co-host on Learn from Gaming Stew, we talked about Magic: The Gathering, and there is something uh, that I like to refer to as the game in the game, and that is planning what you think you're going to be doing even before you've played a round of a game. Um, so I'm looking at this easing, and I am already thinking about combinations of uh, monsters that I can put together where I need to go what I need to find um, and uh, this is something that would stay with me and that I do even to this day um, Pokemon Sword and Shield has not been released yet it won't release until November 15th uh, maybe by the time you were listening to this, it will have released. But trust me, by the time that game drops, I've already got a plan for which Pokemon I'm going to be using through the entirety of that game. And I've got a plan for what sort of forces I'm going to have at the end of that game so that I can play competitively with friends and just with people online. 
Um, so this was the genesis of that practice. Um, and it was great. I love, I love any, any kind of game that has me thinking that way, has me engaging that way. And again, keep in mind, like this is a cutesy little anime JRPG, uh, for kids, not for a 15 year old boy, but there's depth there. And so I'm going to engage with it. So September 28th, it's about, it's about a month away. Um, and there's something that happens, something that's going on during all of this. And it is that Nintendo has already has the resources in place in Japan. So the Pokemon cartoon has been running for a while. Uh, the Pokemon game has been out for a while. They have a pretty good idea of how successful this title is going to be. Um, and they're they're throwing money at this to make sure that it happens. So the localization of the anime comes out in North America. I want to be the very best Like no one ever was To catch them is my real test To train them is my cause it hits in um, it hits in the U.S. It's on most WB stations, uh, so any Warner Brothers station you can watch it, and it's playing on Saturdays and Sundays. So it's weird if you want to watch the series like in in proper synchronization. So like as they release episodically, you have to tune in on a Saturday and a Sunday. It would also release in uh, Canada on YTV. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember exactly if that's how it rolled out because we were pirating U.S. satellite at the time. So we had we had WB stations, but it was still it wasn't properly explained that that's how these episodes were going to roll out. You had to be watching those episodes at the time and then watching the commercials to have them inform you that tune in tomorrow to get this next episode. Um, and Pokemon would roll out like that for, I would say, at least the first year and a half of its release. So you were getting like two episodes every week, uh, two new episodes every week, but you had to tune in both days. Um, but to have that cartoon start before the game even hits helped to really sort of push the hype because you had TV commercials, you had mag, like you had Nintendo power, basically throwing extra content to really ensure that you were interested and involved. You had, so yeah, there were the regular commercials. Um, and I, I, I didn't do enough of the research, but I just remember Pokemon being everywhere. So you had commercials you had in every single video game magazine that hadn't really been covering Game Boy releases for quite some time, suddenly shifting over and looking at a device that had been out for a really long time. Uh, uh, like, I would say almost a decade at this point, suddenly becoming relevant again. And I mean, Game Boy cover, Color is just around the corner. Game Boy Color is about to hit. Um, and a few years later, we're going to get Game Boy Advance. And, like, why did that take so long? But anyway, um, like, all of this stuff, all while PS, so PlayStation is having, like, its renaissance. Like, uh, PlayStation is here. Sony is here. Everybody is trying something new and experimental. Squaresoft is releasing some of its really experimental titles 
on that machine. You, you've got so many other places that you could be playing some very mature content. Resident Evil has Resident Evil has already come out. Resident Evil Two hit earlier this year. Um, you've got uh, really high end JRPGs like Sukioden Two hitting in in the the holiday season. So hitting just a few months after this, but there is just something about Pokemon. So Pokemon comes out. It's September twenty eighth. Like, it, it, it was everywhere, everybody was excited, um, even 15-year-old me, and I get it, and my 16-year-old brother gets it. So I get blue, my brother gets red, and we start playing, and we both have access to, to these additional little zines. We don't have the internet at this point, because I don't actually get the internet in our house until 1999. Crazy, right? And it's dial-up. Like, um, <laughs> so... Wow. Uh, so we're just relying on these magazines to sort of tell us where, where Pokemon are. And then after that, we just sort of trying, we, we try to track it on like paper, like writing down notes. Um, and it's fun. And more importantly, we have a number of friends that are around. Now, what Pokemon has in it that sort of encourages you to play with others, and keep in mind, playing with others on the Game Boy was a link cable. So you had to be, like, you could smell each other's breath. You had to be that close to each other in order to play a game. Uh, Link cables were not particularly long. I think they're about, what, like an arm's length? A grown man's arm length uh, to the elbow. (laughs) so you had to be close um and uh i i still remember like those first like almost the first month but especially those first few days where my brother and i would just link our cables together and we would just like test our early teams and the big thing was like if you were a little higher level if if because all of the the progression in the game is just like any jrpg you you run around put your guys out against other other guys and as long as they participate in the fight they level up um but there were also items that you could find that would allow you to have access to special abilities but only certain types of pokemon could learn them and there's really no lexagram there's nothing like what exists today to tell you who could use what and how more importantly once you use those items they were disposable so they were gone so you had to really make sure that you put the right move on the right guy or else you would have to play through the game all over again, start a new save in order to get these moves. Um, so for a game for kids, there was a lot of planning involved if you wanted to get a specific type of performing Pokemon. Um, and again, that was what I lived for. I still live for it to this day. Like I love the game within the game. Um, thinking about what you're going to put out how it's going to, uh, and even doing like what's referred to as a pre-mortem. So like, what are all the, the issues that I could come up against and then just trying to plan and mitigate (laughs) like crazy, crazy amounts of thought. Um, and, uh, that's just part of being a, that's just part of being a a turn-based strategy gamer. Like I grew up playing these games, so I'm, I'm used to it also, um, like JRPG you just sort of think about that. It's like, if you're going to go into a deep dungeon and you're going to be in there for a while and you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to face, um, you know, you bring the items that are appropriate, including a tent. Uh, <laughs> cause you're probably going to sleep down there. Um, right. So what's weird is a few months after the game comes out, 
uh, Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro team up and release something that was already being, I think it was already being distributed in the, in the, in Japan, but they just, um, and other people might actually correct me on this. I didn't follow the card game as much as other people did, but like when I say that Pokemon was everywhere, I mean, it was everywhere in, in any of the nerd stores where you were buying magic games, suddenly Pokemon cards show up and suddenly you have much younger players getting involved in this stuff. And the Pokemon card game is as ubiquitous and the community that follows that is as ubiquitous as everybody who follows the 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 actual games that release to this day. This is something that has not gone away. It is still going strong 21 years later in North America. People still play this stuff. People still buy. And more importantly, the card game is more variable than the regular game in that you don't know what you're going to get in the pack. It's very... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and now we have a term for it. It's very loot boxy. And again, it, it follows the magic, the gathering format of boosters. Um, and if you want to understand what that is, uh, learn from gaming has a really great episode on it. Again, Fred is on that episode and we discuss how, uh, how you collect magic, the gathering cards. So go ahead and take a listen to that. Um, I think it's episode 25. Um, but yeah, that's it's a format that still works even to this day. Um, if loot boxes get outlawed, then I believe Magic the Gathering and Pokemon cards are going to see a drastic shift in their business model. Um, but it hasn't happened yet. And by the way, it's been going on for years. Loot boxes are not new. It's been going on since I was 15 years old or younger. And it all just stems back to to Gachapon, which is a which is a Japanese form of uh, uh, well, it's a form of getting you to buy stuff. Um, so why 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 when I've got a PS when I've got a PlayStation um, that already has a game like Monster Rancher out, um, am I playing on the incredibly dated Game Boy? Um, and the answer is there is no game that is delivering an experience like this. Monster Rancher is okay, but like not everybody owns a PlayStation. Everybody by 2009 or not 2019. Well, everybody by 2019 could own a Game Boy. Everybody by 1998 either has access to a Game Boy or knows somebody who isn't using a Game Boy. Um, the the cost of games on that device are particularly low compared to uh, high end PlayStation or sixty four or Saturn games, so this is not this is this is not a hard entry point for anyone to to get into Pokemon. More specifically, there is depth to the game. Uh, there the competitive nature. Um, the fact that there are 150 Pokemon that you can choose from, 151 secretly, uh, we would find that out later. Um, there are just options. So you find the stuff that you like, you put it together in a group, and then you, you meet up with your friends and you fight each other. Um, and that is that was really the appeal. So you would have kids like me and my friends and the enthusiasm that I felt for this game, like it was contagious. I was one of the first people to buy it. Like I had it the day it came out. Uh, I had blue the day it came out and I had my brother playing with me for quite a while. Once I outpaced him, 
there wasn't a regulating level system. So in newer games now, if you fight someone, they'll bump you both to a certain level. So say I'm level, I've got level 76 Pokemon. My brother only has level 34. They shift you both to level 50 so that at least there's an equal playing ground. That didn't exist in the original game. So what ended up happening is you had to play enough to be level 100 to fight against me or else you were you were going to get outmatched. Um, once we started finding some of the really broken parts of the game, that, that changed even more. And it changed in a uh, strange way. And I will outline that in a second. Um, but... In terms of social experience, uh, this was just one way to play games when you weren't home. So I lived in rural Ontario. I had a long bus ride to my high school, which was a high school that serviced what was effectively three to four different towns. Um, so I played this on the bus. Uh, sometimes I would trade with friends on the bus. That's another thing that's important to understand about Pokemon is there were, um, you would get these monsters and as you leveled them, they would evolve. But there was also the option that some of them would evolve if you traded with somebody. So that And that was the only way to get some of the strongest Pokemon in that initial game. So Gengar, which is like the, the strongest ghost Pokemon, and Alakazam, uh, which is the, the strongest psychic Pokemon that you could get. Um, the only way to get access to those specific Pokemon was, was to trade. You had to trade the evolved versions of them. Uh, so there's uh, Kadabra and Haunter. Um, same thing with, I think it was Geodude to get Geodude and Mac Champ, but not a lot of people played those. And uh, <laughs> uh, those who did, I, I hope you really knew what you were doing because otherwise it didn't matter. Um, yeah, so the, I mean, there was trading that could happen, but uh, mostly I was just leveling right? Every day I'm leveling. Uh, and that is another part of the game. It, it was sort of a way to pass time, but like it's passing time with an objective. So most JRPGs, you're playing to level to beat the game. When you're playing Pokemon, depending on why you enter it, there are any number of motivators. You could be the, I want to collect them all, be the very best that no one ever was, right? Or the, I want to train my monsters, to be the very best that no one ever was uh, so that I can kick the crap out of somebody whenever they challenge me. Um, and the systems and the ways that you can engage with players now are vastly different than what they used to be um, and vastly improved. Like, it's super cool how easy it is to just get into a fight, um, especially in contemporary, like the, the new generations of Pokemon. It is just so easy. Um, instead of like trying to find someone who's still playing the game, I was really lucky in that a number of my friends wanted and continued to play Pokemon for at least a year after launch. Um, there was quite a bit of fall off. Most people weren't playing Pokemon gold and silver once it came out, but I think I might do a different episode on the, uh, a gold and silver and Ruby and Sapphire just, uh, just to sort of explain, uh, the, the differences, um, I don't want to get too deep into that because this is already getting close to half an hour. Um, so yeah, uh, you've got, you've got objectives like catch them all, uh, which was something I was actively trying to do. I was trying to get all 150 slash 
151 Pokemon, and we would eventually figure out how to get all of them, uh, not through any kind of legitimate <laughs> means, but we did it. Um, but also, uh, just the competitive, the competitive thing, right? You wanted to be able to play and effectively beat your, your opponent. And I kind of want to discuss that. Uh, I want to discuss the nature of play for that game because there was just something about, um, well, I mean, there was something about playing Pokemon in the hallway, uh, in between classes or, uh, during lunch, uh, of, of high school. I mean, I got bounced off a locker at least two or three times, uh, in that exact setting, um, just link cabled up to somebody else trying to beat them. Um, like it was a pretty nerdy geeky thing to do. And I don't give a fuck. Like I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. Like I was doing what I wanted to do, owning my time. Uh, definitely didn't enjoy bouncing off those lockers, but, uh, you know, um, and it was just, it was a great, it was a great introduction into what would be later handheld experiences. Like, a lot of people don't realize how much potential uh, Pokemon proved handhelds had. There were some incredible experiences just waiting to happen on those types of devices, and they're like they've been exercised and explored, and continue to be explored to this day. Like the the Switch right now is the premier handheld. Um, I, the, the name, like the switch itself, it exists specifically to be both, but, uh, yeah, the, the intent is, is what's important. And also the execution is what's important. And Pokemon opened up a door, uh, to so many possibilities of how you could play moving forward. And they were always there, but nobody had really tried to do an interfacing JRPG like that before. It was an incredibly ambitious thing and it, it worked. Uh, and when I say nobody, that's a lie because Ark the Lad 2 had a monster capturing mechanic, had an arena where you could fight. Um, but nobody in North America had ever encountered that. And also it was on PlayStation, which was harder to buy and get games for if you didn't have quite as much money. So it was, it was just, yeah. Like also it was a, <laughs> the only way that you could play Ark the Lad 2 in North America without importing it was by buying the working design Ark the Lad collection that wouldn't hit until I think 2000, 2001. Uh, so late in the PlayStation's life cycle. So you had to really be on your shit to, to even know that game was out. Um, right. So competitive play really pushed things, but there was also like these weird fucking issues <laughs> with Pokemon um, in that there was this mystery, like suddenly a few months after the game releases, you get informed that there's a 151st Pokemon called Mew, which clearly has like this weird lineage to Mewtwo. Uh, you, you can see that there are similarities and it's just like, okay, well, what's going on there? And you wouldn't really find out until, uh, the movie released, which was connected to the TV show. Um, so like 15 slash 16 year old chase watching, <laughs> watching a Pokemon movie for kids, um, 
which happens to be the source of one of the uh, the the greatest sort of gif slash memes, which is like the 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 Pikachu slapping itself. Uh, that that's all tied into the story of that movie. If you ever want to go and look that up, um, there were just some really interesting decisions in design and in the rollout and release of this game that that really hooked people, uh, even to this day. Uh, it still happens. It's still good. I would argue that Sh- uh, Sword and Shield's rollout is perhaps the gentlest rollout we've ever had. I'm interested to see if that game grabs me in the same way that the latest uh, versions of the game, so Sun and Moon, did. Uh, there were some really nice changes to Sun and Moon that made it approachable, perhaps the most approachable Pokemon game I've ever seen, aside from Let's Go. But I would say that uh, Let's Go is not... Uh... Yeah, it's, uh, that, that's, let's save that for another episode. Um, so I, I, the, the really weird stuff is, uh, some of the glitches that stayed in the game. Um, so there are some quality of life changes that have happened for Pokemon over time. Um, we've never gotten another mysterious, strange thing like, uh, like missing number, uh, missing number was a Pokemon that you could encounter if you performed a certain number of um, a certain number of things in a certain order, and then used an ability and skirted along the side of a uh, a landmass until you encountered a fight, how did missing number impact us? Or impact us? Well, um, Nintendo Power would release a statement saying that if you engage with this creature or if you try to capture it, it could potentially corrupt your data. So for a while there, people were playing it safe and not trying to to deal with this thing. But as interest in the game was slowly starting to wane, as we had felt that we had engaged with the game as much as possible, a lot of us decided that it was worth checking things out. Like, you could... Uh, Pokemon Yellow was just around the corner. Uh, it would be, it would follow the the actual TV series narrative a lot closer. Um, I had already picked it up, so I was like, you know what? I can take my chance. I can take my chance on Blue. Um, I can, I can sacrifice this thing. So, I and also my brother had stopped playing Red. Like my brother had stopped playing Red, so I had access to both Red and Blue. Um, I was gonna start playing through Yellow, and I'm like, okay, delete my save data whatever like let's just do it so i capture missing number or uh uh, something that is effectively missing number and if you want to know what i mean when i say i capture this thing uh look up some screenshots of what a missing number is you know exactly when you found it um and once i captured it uh what i would do is i would take it to a single battle and what you can do in pokemon is when something is leveling, you can basically stop it from progressing. Um, so I would take it in a single battle. I would do that one one battle, make sure that it was it had um, th- that it leveled up, and then what happens is it evolves. Um, so I learned that this was something that could happen. And once it evolves, it evolves into a specific form at a specific level, and the level is 250. So you get a 250-level Pokemon that comes out of the, uh, the, this missing number when you take it into a battle. So so began 
the level 250 competitive <laughs> tournaments in my high school. Because once I figured out that you could do this, I told all of my friends. Um, and all of my friends started doing the exact same thing with their games. And then what we started doing is we started trading each other our level 250 Pokemon. Now, what was weird is the Pokemon that would evolve out of missing number was different based on the name that you used in the game. Um, so I would, my Pokemon would evolve into Blastoise. So like the highest level version of a, of a, Bla of a Squirtle, my, um, so most evolved form of Squirtle is Blastoise. That's, that's all you really need to know. Uh, Squirtle was a starter Pokemon. You could choose between, uh, the water Pokemon, the fire Pokemon, or the grass Pokemon. So, uh, Squirtle, Charmander, or, uh, whoa, Bulbasaur. <laughs> Bulbasaur. Sorry, I've gone through a lot of starters. Uh, we're in, what, generation eight now, so eight different iterations of starters. Um, sometimes I forget things, even though Bulbasaur was super cute. Um, okay, so I get this awesome, super bulky water Pokemon. One of my friends who I didn't always get along with because I thought he was kind of goofy. Uh, <laughs> the name choice that he had meant that when he evolved his missing number, it shifted into a level 250 Mewtwo, which is the strongest Pokemon in the game. It's the strongest, rare, really hard-to-catch um, Pokemon out there. And it's the highest impossibly highest level your level cap in the game and this is why level 250 pokemon are are uh, are a big deal your highest level cap in the game is 100 so like these mewtwo's getting pumped out by this guy were unbeatable unbeatable um also what's important to note is uh i i just remembered something as we're talking i didn't take these creatures out and fight them um, to level them up, I would have to use a rare candy because if you fought, there was always the chance that you would get too much experience and you just wanted to level a missing number up one level so that it would evolve into whatever creature it, it was that was waiting underneath. Um, if you leveled a creature past 250, it would reset it to level one. Um, so these were special creatures that you never took out into the wild. You only ever used in competitive fights, at least in our group of friends, uh, because the second they got one extra point of experience on them, they circled back to level one. Um, so what ended up happening is, uh, everybody traded everybody, whatever Pokemon they could, uh, <laughs> you would get some like weird shitty teenager wheeling and dealing to try and get the perfect team that you wanted based on the level 250 Pokemon that we had access to. We had one friend that even after we started all of this stuff still refused to engage with us or to trade with us because he didn't want to corrupt his game. He didn't want to break it. He valued the team that he already had too much. And he also refused to fight us. Uh, so like he wouldn't fight the two level two fifty Pokemon that we all had. Um, and it was as we were playing these games, as we were like really getting to the very end of all possibility that we started to realize that there were other systems working behind the scenes in Pokemon even as early as generation one 
um, that dictated the stats of a Pokemon. So no single Pokemon was ever created equal. And how you raised and leveled your, your Pokemon dictated what sort of abilities they would have. And this is where we started to realize that there, like these hidden systems impacted the competitive nature of a Pokemon in later game. And these systems, we would not understand them. Uh, I guarantee you most of my friends don't even care now. Um, I'm the only one who really understands that you needed to fight Pokemon that that would produce certain types of stat boosts over time after you had, had beaten a certain number of them in order to become the fastest. And so what you ended up leveling yourself against um, in the game would actually bump specific stats. And two of the most valuable stats were the attack stat and the speed stat, because the person who hits first and hardest is the one who wins. If you have a Pokemon that is always hitting before everybody else and can one shot everything, it is the winner Pokemon. It is going to beat everybody every single time. So uh, I ended up getting one of these level uh, 250 Mewtwo's, uh, which meant that I got a fast, hard hitter. But because I had a bad relationship with this dude, I got the slowest version of that <laughs> that collection of Mewtwo's. And he had tested them all out. Like he had taken the time to really sort of find the stuff out. Um, and I don't think that there was a way to offset that because the only way you could get a level uh, 250 Pokemon was by using a single rare candy. It wasn't who you were fighting. It was just, you got what you got. Um, But it was also important to note that we were able to recognize that even just Pokemon being produced. So like these missing number Pokemon, they would only ever level up by one. We had multiple Mewtwo's all out there. You could compare the stats. You could hold the Game Boys up to each other and you could see, okay, well, this one is a little weaker than this one in this area and this one's a little weaker than this one in this area. And this was before what would later be introduced as the the personality um, modifiers or, like, ability modifiers. Um, And so I'm not 100% sure how those systems worked, but, but there were systems in place in the game already that ensured that no two Pokemon were the same. Um, even if they were the exact same race, even if they were the exact same species, they were never being produced exactly the same. Some would be a little faster. Some would have a little higher hit points. Some would have a little stronger attack. Um, and that was just really interesting to see. Uh, it, it showed a type of effort and thought, um, and just planning that, we like you wouldn't even think of uh it's a type of design that uh definitely not expecting (laughs) in a 1998 game boy game and i think i'm kind of starting to run out of things to say uh about pokemon and the initial release but if you take nothing else away from this story just know that Things continued to get better with these games. Uh, There were a few missteps that happened generation to generation. But the reason why I continue to buy these games is that core type of gameplay, that core variability, but also the option to take these teams, raise them, and just sort of get the best of whatever it is that you want to produce in whatever combination you want still exists. Right. So like imagine playing an RPG where you can choose from 150 different characters. You get to choose what you want to play. There are streamlined best ways 
to play, like streamline best versions of, of things that'll like you'll win the game fast. Um, but then there are just all of those other options and that hasn't stopped. Um, like we're up to well over 800 Pokemon now. Uh, the new game is not going to have all of them in at launch, but I am, uh, I think that is a, a part of discussion that we can have, um, just as a group later on, somebody's going to try and make money, right? <laughs> like <laughs> that, that there's, there's no reason why those Pokemon can't be added except for development time. And in order to justify that development time, you just need to throw money at them. And Nintendo is starting to turn into a contemporary video game company. They've got mobile games that have practices that suggest that they are now willing to to do those dark, horrible things that North American companies have been doing for a long time now. Like, gone are the days of the Wii U where you buy Hyrule Warriors and you just keep getting updates for that game for free. Um, yeah, it's 2019, um, and a lot has changed since 1998. And... I'm not mad about it. The core, the core gameplay is still there and I love it. And, uh, if you don't, Hey, go play whatever game toots your horn. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's different for everyone. So just like what you like. And I think that's where I'm going to stop. So, uh, yeah, 36 year old man still love playing Pokemon. Um, and just like just one weird other extra thing that I'm going to throw out there. Um, because of the way the Pokemon has rolled out, I've been able to carry forward Pokemon since, uh, I think it was Ruby and Sapphire. So since those games came out on the, uh, the Game Boy Advanced. So I've got a huge collection. Um, and one of the really cool parts of having a huge collection is I have Pokemon that are older than some of the people that I know. Um, and so what happens is sometimes you encounter people who just are interested in that game. And when I say people, I mean children. So children who just want a specific type of Pokemon and like just being able to give them that because they didn't have friends or anybody who had access to this stuff and they didn't know how to engage with the trading system. Like that was awesome. I had a niece um, that I was able to just do that with. Like I'm just able to give this thing to her and that made her day. And she had like these awesome Pokemon that she wouldn't have been able to access any other way. And that is that for me, that is great that I have this big collection that I have duplicates of almost everything that I can just sacrifice this stuff, give it to somebody else that it really makes their day because like, this is a Pokemon I'm never going to play because I'm thinking competitively, not, not in terms of collecting. Um, that, that was a really, that's a really great experience too to just give these things to people who really care about them, even though they're just these goofy little digital, like make-believe monsters um like i've got the stuff that i care about in storage that follows me around forever um and will it'll be interesting to see if nintendo continues to maintain that process and i will talk more about that we can talk about that in our discussions um but like not only am I able to engage in, in competitive play, but I'm able to just sort of give people things, things that they usually wouldn't be able to get access to. And that, that also makes me feel good because I have this vast collection. I have this vast experience. I can even just tell people stuff. I, like I have so much experience with this entire, 
um, series that I, I can like, if anybody asked me anything about any of the generations of this game, I can tell them like, I can tell them with an informed perspective what to do. And that's, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> like I'm a Pokemon expert. It's crazy. All right. So yeah, that's, uh, that's all I got for this one. I hope you all enjoyed it. Got a little rambly near the end there, but uh, it is a little bit late. All right. Um, Yeah, love Pokemon.